welcome back to episode 181 of tall boy radio and you know what we say who knows where it goes when the beer flows well i'll tell you where it's going tonight it's going off grid but before we do that let's say hello to the other two hosts gaza yeah, evening guys, evening the world. Again, looking forward to this episode. It's fantastic when we have new guests on, and that's a little teaser for what's coming up. And, it, and it's always great to hear their story and for them to join us on our podcast. So, yeah, no doubt a couple of left turns as normal, but looking forward to where we're going. Indeed, indeed. Dave? Evening all. Welcome back to the show. It's great to see us trying this new software. Let's see how that pans out through the next hour. It didn't start so well, but we got it going with the microphone. We got it going on time, and that is all that matters. So, if you are listening or you are watching on YouTube or Facebook, feel free to drop any comments below. And if you have any questions for our guest, we will, of course, ask them to him. And our guest tonight is a gentleman by the name of Alex. Did you want to say hello and tell our listeners a little bit about what it is that you're going to be talking about tonight? Oh, hi. So, yeah, thanks for having me. My name's Alex, and uh, I live off grid in uh, in Cornwall. I've got some land in Cornwall, and I live here on 12 acres and totally off grid for all my services and stuff like that. So yeah, you guys invited me on to come and tell you about it and how, how it's different to live in anywhere, any other way. So it's something that it's fascinating. So I shared a post on a Facebook group asking for anybody who would come on and share our story. And there's yourself and another gentleman who have responded. Mm-hmm. Now we have recorded another episode earlier. So we'd be interested to hear about the different experiences from your good self. So Tell us a little bit about how you got started. Well, like all good stories, it started with falling in love. So I, I <laughs> fell in love with my neighbour. She and uh, she was uh, my neighbour in the in the neighbouring flat, and uh, we decided uh, after falling in love that we would start up a business together. And so we bought some land locally in Cornwall, and we decided to set up a glamping site. And it was it was during lockdown. It was one of those sort of crazy lockdown ideas, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> Um, it turned out to be a fantastic idea, and we so we set up at this uh, a, a glamping site um, with some sort of geodesic domes, you know, like the clear sort of bubbles that you've seen. Yeah, yeah. So we set those up on. Uh, we've got twelve acres here with a wood and and a stream and a spring and all that kind of thing. Basically, it, what pushed me to go off grid really, the first thing was getting the quote to connect to the electricity grid. So they wanted to charge me fifty eight thousand pounds to connect to the electricity grid. So even though there's like a power line just about 10 meters from the edge of the land. So I was like, well, that's out of the way. So let's look at solar. So I looked at solar and always been interested in that kind of thing anyway. Big Elon Musk fan and all the rest of it. And then, um, yeah, so I looked into solar and the solar was a much cheaper option uh, with a battery system. So I thought, okay, and I wonder if we could do a borehole. So I got the guy out to go and see if we could get water. And um, he said, yeah, no problem. And so we got a borehole whilst we were setting up the glamping site. So the glamping site, one of the USPs was that it's all off grid, you know, so people could come and it'd be sustainable and all the rest of it. But sadly, we had some NIMBY neighbours that decided to get involved and they didn't like the way the domes looked and um, they said they were visually harming them. And so they managed to write 500, between three or four of them managed to write 512 complaints to the council. Which then proceeded, the council then proceeded to put a enforcement notice on us, even though they'd agreed that what we were doing was good and that they'd endorsed it all and all the rest of it. They revoked our license, and so I had to close down the glamping site. And close down the glamping site. Me and my girlfriend split up and all that. It was all very horrible. But 
one of the one of the things that happened was that I decided to just live here because we put in all the infrastructure in, you know. And so yeah, I moved here and I built my own cabin and used bits and pieces that we'd used from building the domes and things as well, and used all we was recycled materials. And so now I've got a nice little spot overlooking twelve acres of Cornish countryside <laughs> with no bills and no nothing. <laughs> like you say, that is that is quite a story that you tell there then. So yeah, that's a brief outline, but it, it gets much more complicated. But yeah, that is a brief outline. We'll look forward to hearing those complications. So that, that must have been that must have been challenging then. So to take it from what is a business idea to now be living there, how how difficult of a decision was that to make? Well, my hand was forced actually because um I've got I've got I've got kids. I've got two two boys and a daughter. My daughter's grown up in a university, but my my boys. We had an apartment in in Truro, which is in, like anyone who knows Bournemouth knows Truro. So uh, we had an apartment in Truro, and it was all going nicely and stuff. So it was, I was running the business here with the glamping site, and it was ninety percent full. It was going really really well because it was a bit different, and so people would come and stay because it was like a novelty value. Go and stay in a bubble, you know, overlooking the sunset and. We've got, it's a dark spot here in the UK as well. We're near the Goon Hilly Earth Station. So at night you can see the entire Milky Way sometimes. Um, right. So when you're lying in bed in one of these domes, it was really romantic. And we had couples going there for honeymoons and birthdays and special occasions and things. So um, that was all going nicely. And I had an apartment in Truro and my uh, kids were living with me and everything. And the landlord, you know, through lockdown, all the prices went up down here in Cornwall and the landlord cashed in and sold the flat. And so when he sold the flat, we were going to be made homeless. And so all oh, there was nowhere to rent or anything in, in Cornwall, right? The whole, the whole housing situation, as you may or may not know, in Cornwall is atrocious. Yeah. So, so I thought, right, well, I'll just take the, you know, I'm not going to the council and asking for accommodation. I'm not one of those type of people. So I just, I'm self-sufficient anyway. So I just built my own little cabin. And then we moved. Sorry, Adam. So did you need planning permission for that? Or is that another sort of ongoing? Well, this is the thing. I mean, I'd had to at this stage when I decided to do that, it was I was at the stage where I'd had two years of fighting with the planning people. And, you know, it was one of these classic. I could bore you with the whole planning thing, but it's a whole nother episode. So I won't even go there. But suffice it to say that the council initially endorsed what we were doing because it was all off grid. It's sustainable. It's, you know, taking away from people buying places and renting them out on airbnb because it's providing uh, alternative accommodation for local tourists uh, for tourists coming down and stuff and so it ticked all the boxes but because some of the people locally knew some of the people that work in the council and it was all like you know one of those sort of situations where um, it's like what you not not what you know it's who you know they decided to revoke our license um, because apparently we were causing visual harm and they put an enforcement notice on me, they took me to court, fined me, you know, put me in a witness box and, you know, behind glass and everything as if I'd done some sort of major crime, which was insane. So, so that all happened. And then at the end of it, I had to, in the end, I had to take down the domes. They basically put me in a position where I had to. So otherwise they were just going to keep fining me and fining me. So I took them down. And then when I, when I took them down, that's when the landlord sold my flat. And so we were made homeless and we moved here. How many domes did you have? We had six. We had six initially. Six, I, I... Four, four and a half meter in diameter. So, the, I mean, the business was rock and rolling. It was really good. It was like, you know, it was really nice. But it's just, I th I, you know, I think it's it was nimbyism, isn't it? I don't know if you guys have ever been, yeah. had that it's issue. Hard. I'm struggling to understand the, the reason. I mean, six 
quite small domes mm -hmm. quite a large plot that's completely off grid it's yeah. kind of, and for the other reasons you said about you know people you, know, you just minimize an airbnb in the town so people can live there instead it's just hard to see any sensible reason why there'd be an objection to that yeah i mean if anyone wants to go and look at it it's uh, it's called at the liberty farm on instagram oh, sorry the at the liberty dot farm on instagram so you can go and see the pictures of what it looked like and everything so judge for yourself whether you think it's an eyesore also bear in mind we're in cornwall and one of the most famous structures in cornwall is a dome it's the eden project yeah. and, <laughs> you know, when they said you when they said you um you couldn't use them anymore could you have not just grown tomatoes and called them greenhouses or was it oh, the yeah, structure itself? This, thought, oh maybe i could do that exactly so that was my first thought let's turn them agricultural no they've got you sewed up if it's whatever you put them in for in the first place you can't then change their use and they really? were trying to tell me they're permanent structures as well that was the thing they said they were permanent structures because they're on a decking so that's <laughs> like you know i even took one down in a day to prove to them that it was a temporary structure mm. and they still just wouldn't have it. So that, that's when I, that's when I, I basically, I, I, I read pilled essentially out of the matrix. I was like, right, this is ridiculous. I've done everything right that I'm supposed to do. Off grid business is fully sustainable. We used all local people. We even built that. We could have bought the domes from um, Lithuania, but we built them. I went and designed them and made them in Falmouth with my friend and we printed them in Falmouth locally. So like we literally did everything how we were supposed to do it, and they still want to. I don't know if you're allowed to swear, but fuck you over. It's just ridiculous. So that, that is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it starts to wind me up. Most of the time, I'm cool, you know. But then, like <laughs> when I talk about it, I start to get agitated and wound up because it's the injustice of it. You put thousands of pounds in, you know, thousands and thousands of pounds. Not only buying the land, but putting in the infrastructure, putting an off-grid sewage system for thirty people. So there's enough, there's enough that you could put fit 30 people here and all the sewage gets turned into water out the other end. <laughs> is, there no, is, there no, is there no route to appeal or did you exhaust every avenue? Yeah, I did all of that. I did all of it. I, I appealed. I appealed and I put in freedom of information requests into the council. They withheld information. They did all sorts of things. Like it's just, we had the, some of the neighbours, this is what the, some of the neighbours in. Not all of them because a lot of them are really, really nice. But... I'm just looking up now and there's a deer bouncing through the meadow. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, so, so some of the neighbours are absolutely lovely. Most of them are. But there's a few select ones that bought their house in 1976 for 50p. And, you know, it's now worth 2 million or 1.5 million or something. And they don't want to look out at somebody else doing something. They just want to look out at greenfields and that's it. Yeah. So it's just pure nimbyism. That's all it is. No, it's not good, is it? I mean, it's frustrating, like you say, when you're trying to do something that's positive as well, with a positive impact on the planet, something that is off-grid, it's a little bit more unusual, it's a little bit more unique. It's not like it's not in a touristy area anyway, where you're going to bring tourists to the area. They're already yeah. there. They're looking for a different experience. And something I would have thought would have had a very low impact on people's, people's view. I would have thought that would have added to it rather than detracted. Yeah, absolutely. And it was only for couples. So there's no kids, no dogs, no loud music or anything like that. It was all very sort of romantic and low key, specifically for that reason, because the, the, the thing that I was trying to get across to the, the people that live here and the, and the council was that the whole point, the asset to the business is that it's quiet and it's un unobtrusive. So why would we want to make it anything other than that? 
So that's why we kept it low scale and, you know, small and no concrete, no big infrastructure that was going to mess everything up. But it, it seems like I think now these days in this country, particularly towards the end of Western civilization, as it starts to crumble, is that this is the first beginnings of it when we no longer have any freedom to live. And that's why I just thought absolutely bollocks, I'm going. I'm out of it. So I, so I said, if, you, if I'm going to do everything right and do everything I'm supposed to do, and you still want to crucify me and find me and everything and drag me through the court for no reason, then I will just not do any of the rules. So I don't follow any rules at all. Well, I was going to say, if you, if you didn't have a reason to live off-grid before, you've got one now in terms of the way that, that, that you've been treated. It must be, must be incredibly frustrating. So how big is the off-grid community? Do, do you... Are you in contact with others that live off grid? Um, yeah, it's 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 a strange one. I think I'm I'm I think there's a lot of people that live off grid uh, very independently and don't really interact with other people. I'm probably more one of those sort of people, and I, I've got you know I've got a normal job and I go to work and all the rest of it and everything. But I just live away from everybody else, and it's quite nice being in the middle of nowhere. But I think that. I think there's there are a lot of communities and there are other people locally in Cornwall. There's I think there's five hundred odd people that are living like that in Cornwall alone, I think at least. Because there's a community of about sixty or seventy people that are all on one of these sort of telegram signal type apps. That makes me sound really old, doesn't it, saying that? <laughs> yeah, so they're on the, one of those apps where they all talk and help each other out with equipment and stuff like that and things, because there's a lot of equipment needed to sort of maintain everything, you know. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I can imagine. So mm. Tell us about the fact that you're on Facebook then, because this is, you know, when we had the previous guy on who was off grid, mm. when I said, when I said to Gaz and when I said to Dave, we've got a guy coming on and he's going to be talking about living off grid. And they said, all right, where have you got hold of him from? <laughs> well, Facebook, that's where we get most of our guests from. And it was that little bit of juxtaposition in terms of being off grid and then being part of fairly large would well, probably some would argue part of the problem in terms of modern day society is is the apps like facebook but i guess is that just part of communication and keeping in touch with people yeah i think these days all social media you know right i mean i've got all my cons here everything's like got sonos and you know big 50 inch tv and all the, and you know all the like all the mod cons i don't live in squalor or anything but I, but I, you know, but I, I cook off of a fire, so I have a, a uh, wood burner with an oven and all that stuff, and got solar power and, and all the rest of it. So I suppose it's only different in terms of that I'm I'm responsible for all my uh, utilities and all that sort of thing. So if something goes wrong and the water stops working, I need to get up in the middle of the night and work out what it is and fix it and everything. I can't call someone, or I can't like you know. But then no one's going to send me a bill, which is the other good thing. So I guess yeah. I guess the thing is that when when you're naive, like like I was when Adam first said we're talking to somebody about off grid, you immediately assume, you assume living in a cave or, or living in a tree house they built themselves with a pen knife. But actually, from talking to the previous guy in twenty years, it, it simply means you're not connected to mains water, gas, or electricity. That's essentially off grid. Yeah, I think there is that aspect to it. There is the the practicality to it that you are physically away from everybody else as much as you can be in this country. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd naturally probably want to be like I've spent time in the jungle and things like that. I like being away, you know, right in the middle of nature and stuff like that and getting really getting to know the place. Like now I see as I walk around and every every day I go for a walk around the land. So I see things change throughout the year. I see the different animals as they start to hatch, come out and all the rest of it. And you start to really get to know things, which is really nice to sort of build a relationship with the place that you live, you know. 
and, and I've done that where in, in the jungle as well and you get the same kind and that's what I wanted to try and recreate here for myself. But I think it's 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 not just being off grid in terms of the physicality of it and um, it's the mentality as well. So I, I feel like I, the, the way I think, you know, maybe I'm being like blown tr my own trumpet or whatever, but I, I, like I like to think that I think differently outside of the matrix and the way everybody follows everything they're told. You know, I know there's lots of people that think like that, but there's, those are the people that want to go and live off grid. And we, but the thing is, I felt like everything, the, all the council and people around me have all tried to stop me from doing it. So it's weird. It's like society, it's like a group of ants and one ant goes off and does its own thing. They all try and get the other ant and drag it back in. You know what I mean? To, to carry on working towards whatever they're doing. But I don't want to do that. I want to go off and climb a different tree and go and do this and do that, you know? So I suppose it's a, 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 a point of view and a, a, a mentality as well as just the physicality of it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it, it, it does make a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense. So in in terms of then, do you, do you feel like you're on, like a little bit bohemian on the outside of society looking in, or do you still feel a part of society? You know, obviously you tell us you have, you have, you know, you have a job. <laughs> No, I don't feel a, a part of society at all. I, I, I feel like a bystander. Watching. I'm sure lots of people feel like that, you know, but I suppose I'm, I'm more dramatic in the action that I've taken to, to like physically remove myself as well, as much as is possible in this country. You know, I mean, I'm making plans at the moment to become a Guyanese citizen and go and buy some jungle in the, in the Amazon and things like that. So, you know, that those are long-term plans and things. And at the moment, I'm, start, I'm selling a little bit of the land um, to two families that are made homeless as well, so that they can live off grid as well, so that they've got going to put two um, of their little tiny homes. One's a family with a couple of girls, and one's a, a single mum. So, like, there's lots of people trying to make that, and you know, then one's a nurse and one's an engineer. They're just normal people, but no one can afford to buy a house here. Like, no one can afford to rent. There aren't enough houses. Their houses get bought, and then they get uh, put out on Airbnb. Yeah. I asked you. Yeah. I asked you a short while ago. I don't. I missed the answer, or maybe we meandered off. But I said, did you need to get planning permission for where you're actually living now? Yeah, I mean, if if, if I, I'm not, I'm living here without planning permission. But it's not illegal to do that. It's perfectly legal to. Well, you have to make a choice with this thing, and this is the thing that I've learned. Because, like you say on Facebook, there's a lot of these communities where people and there's new people coming on, and they ask, oh, you know. Is it okay to do this? Is it okay to do that? Can you do this on your land? Can you do that on your land? Basically, you can't do anything in this country, yeah? Unless you're gonna pay someone to do it, right? unless you're gonna pay someone somewhere, somehow. When I tried to get all the planning here, they asked me if I got, how much money have I got for disbursements? So we all know what disbursements means, yeah? If you can pay someone, you'll get something through. So what can you do that's, that's legal? Is it, is it planning, is it not? No, you have to make a choice. Am I gonna do it within the rules? Or am I going to go, those rules are stupid and they don't apply to me. They're only for developers and people that want to, you know, make money out of the planning system. I don't want to make money out of it. I just want a peaceful life to be left alone, to live freely. Mm. Yeah. So you can't do that. They won't give you planning permission to live freely because they don't want you to. Yes. But equally, equally, they're not yeah. turning up with No, they can't do anything. To... They can't do anything. Yeah. I have a, I mean, technically I have a piece of paper that says I'm homeless. Yeah. Because mm. the landlord sold the flat and made us all move out. So, uh, so you know i there's very little they can do what are they going to do they are they going to house me i don't want to go and live in council housing i'm an independent man i don't need council housing do you know what i mean 
I, I'm just I'm just follow, following it through. You said you sold a little bit of land off to another couple, mm. and I'm just thinking if you parcelled it up and and sold the, the land to forty different couples, how your NIMBY neighbours would like that. <laughs> yeah, don't get me wrong. One of the thoughts that I've had. Let me let me tell you. Put it this way: some of the land that I've sold is closest to the NIMBY neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> don't blame that. That's, that's nice. <laughs> well, I, I did warn them. I said to them, look, leave me be. Like, I'm not doing you any harm. Yeah, leave me alone and I'll just carry on doing my business. I'm not disturbing anyone or nothing. But if you start and carry on and push me all the way to the end where I have to close my business and I lose thousands of pounds, I'm going to make the remainder of your life very uncomfortable because mm. you, you're not going to like what you see, what I do with it. I would much mm. rather to keep it. You know what I mean? Now they're going to have families and kids and this and that and noise and, and that's up to them, you know. Yeah, and, so, yeah, and some fast, fast-growing trees as well. Yeah, you can't, you can't go and do this to people. And this is the problem in this country, I think, these days, is that the nimbyism has taken control. That's why the housing market is the way it is, because the nimbys won't let you build a few houses here and a few houses there. So they don't, they don't, they think so long. You can build loads of houses, but just not where I live, not so I can see it. Mm. Yeah, and so that's the problem. That's infiltrated throughout the whole of society, and the people that do the voting in this country are the ones that are the NIMBYs. So they get listened to because they are the, the, the bulk of the vote, yeah? The mm. homeowners, you know, the, the homeowners that have lived that are in their 50s, 60s, 70s and whatever, they're uh, politically valuable. And so we do what they say. And if they don't want a housing estate down the road, they don't get it. Yeah. We, we've done a couple of episodes recently on politics. And now Gaz, Dave and myself probably all align ourselves differently i probably would say i'm a little bit closer to your thinking <laughs> definitely alex i get very very frustrated with the system and very yeah. very uh, frustrated with politics in general at the moment without naming names so when you had when you had it as a rental uh, site did you did you find that you were attracting similar-minded folk or was it just absolutely everybody who was willing to come and rent there uh, it was all sorts because it was because it's a little glamping thing, you know, and it's in Cornwall. So people would only stay for a couple of nights normally. So it's a novelty sort of thing. So they'd stay for like a birthday weekend or something like that. But, you know, so so you get all sorts from all over the country. People come from Birmingham and London and all over and, and a lot of people from Cornwall and Devon and stuff. And they stay for a couple of nights and loved it. You know, loads of people really, really loved it. But um, and it's a shame. Lots of people spent like really special times here, like special occasions and things like that and it could have been really nice for that but yeah you we got we got all sorts of people and it was it was warmly received um apart from just a few you know a few yeah it's a shame that is a real shame so if you were going to give some advice if there's anybody listening to this when it goes out now or when it goes <laughs> out when we do the audio version what will be what will be your first piece of advice to help anybody go off grid i think you have to change your mindset you have to decide whether you're going to try and do it all through the rules. Yeah. And go down that path where you tick every box and, you know, try and do, you know, find the path that you can best do it. And it does work if people persevere for years and years and years, you know, and they spend thousands and thousands of pounds on planning applications and all that kind of thing. You, you could get to summit if you have got good neighbors. Yeah. But if it like the majority of the country, if you've got two or three people that always want to peek at what you're doing and have a look at what you're doing and try and stop you doing anything, you know, anything that you want to do and live freely, 
then you're going to have that problem. So you're going to be up against people that have the ability to cause you a lot of problem. So you have to decide whether you're going to work within the rules or whether you're just going to go, actually, those rules are ridiculous. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what's reasonable. So I just got the local plan. Like, like this is what I did. I got the local plan in Cornwall and I read it through several times. I know it inside and out, every policy number. Yeah. So I read everyone and I made what I was going to do fit within that policy document. Yeah. Any reasonable person would look at it and go, right, he's off grid for solar. He's off grid for a sewerage. He's got the battery system. He's got all his water tested. You know, the boreholes professionally drilled, blah, blah, blah. All the rest of it. You've got all the certificates and everything else. Then that person should be allowed to do whatever they want without being tied down. But I think people have to decide whether they're going to actually stick within all those rules or whether they're going to be use their own brain and be i'm a libertarian as you can tell i think (laughs) you know i think people should be free to do whatever they want to do within reason yeah as long as i'm not doing anything to hurt anyone here so you know i should be left to do and that's the same for everybody else i think the the biggest rule that they could change in this country the easiest thing they could change is to say if you have an acre of land whatever kind of land it is then you have the right as the owner to live on that land in a temporary dwelling yeah something that can be moved and something sustainable. And if you can demonstrate that it's sustainable to live in that land, then you personally should be allowed to live on it. Not loads of people, you. Yeah. Um, It wouldn't take, you know, and it wouldn't take a massive percentage, you know, uh, people that did that. And that would have a a big impact on, on, on society as whole, but also just on services and on the environment and on people's health and mental well-being. And it, it's not a big ask, is it? Just to no, say, that I, I've just got a little feel. I just want to build a, a log cabin on it, have a borehole, some solar panels, and a sewage system. Yeah. Uh, also, it's a massive, like in Cornwall, that would be the biggest economic boost to this to this county. Is that? And it is. This county is very highly dependent on tourism. But one of the biggest resources that it's got, it's got a lot of really beautiful agricultural land. Yeah. And that's not used. You can walk, drive all over Cornwall. There'd be a few fields of daffodils, yeah, maybe a few cauliflower. But there's not, there's not loads of agriculture going on down here. It's dead for agriculture. Agriculture is dead in this country. So what we should be doing is utilising that land for the people. So we could be getting people that, like young couples, they all want to live off grid and they all want to raise their kids in a field growing vegetables. That's what if you asked ninety percent, I reckon, of young families, if that's what they would want to do, they'd say yes. Yeah, they would jump at the chance to do that for. A, for a small amount of money in comparison to buying a three-bedroom house, yeah, and they could yeah. do that sustainably, and it would boost the, inc- the everyone's income because they're no longer spending huge amounts on their mortgage payments. They're spending it in the local economy, buying chickens, buying you know stuff from local businesses to put up on their land, and you know what I mean. It stimulates the economy. Yeah, it is. We have a question that's coming from one of our viewers as well, a guy called Cyril, who's been a guest on the podcast before, and he asks, "What's causing the anti-off-grid mindset in the US people?" framing it in terms of sustainability would that work in the uk sorry i didn't understand the question say again so i think i think you know he's he's asking about why there would be an anti-off-grid mindset you know in the us it's sort of seen as a positive you know yeah. that it's, it's sold in terms of sustainability what yeah. would have to change for that to work in the uk i think it's the culture in the uk isn't it because the american the american culture has much more of that kind of pioneer spirit doesn't it the, the people are independent and people are encouraged to be um, self-reliant and they don't have the, the sort of you know socialist state that we have that, that 
enables people to to sort of be reliant on the government and our, or, that's why our society constantly looks to the government for all the answers to everything and we shouldn't do the government are just a bunch of you know people making it up as they go along so the the, the americans are much more reliant but we're a much more conformist country aren't we we you know as a, as a society in general we'll generally sort of go along and moan about it and stick to the rules but I'm like, no, I'm not, not going to stick to the rules. The rules are stupid. The rules don't serve the people that they're supposed to serve. So why would we all be following these rules just because they're written down somewhere when they don't serve the people that they're meant to help? Yeah, I mean, we, 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 don't, we don't like to complain in restaurants and we do like to stand in queues. And I think that pretty much sums up <laughs> what you were saying, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's hard to find. I'm very passionate about it. But it's hard to find people that are passionate about these things. People are, so many people are driven into, uh, they're kind of brought up to think, oh no, I've got to buy a house. I've got to do it this way. I've got to do it the standard way. I've got to get a mortgage. I've got to go. Like the thought for me now to get a mortgage, I'd be like, I just wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't do it. I'd go and live in a field, literally, I did, <laughs> rather than go and do that and give the money to these people. They make up the money and then go, right, I've made up this money and now you've got to pay it back for 40 years. Like, what? No, that doesn't yeah. make sense. Why would I do yeah. that? I'd go and live in a field and wake up every morning and look out the door and there's deer bouncing through the meadow. Why would I do that? I was just going to say, it seems to me like it's, it's a big shift to be able to do it. But now that you now that you are doing it, would you say it's it's, it's comfortable? I'm not going to suggest yeah. for a second it's easy, but it, is it a much more comfortable life? Yeah, much more comfortable. Like I was, um, where I, like when I'm working or when I'm going anywhere or it's friends or whatever, I'm talk. I, I hear people and they're complaining. Oh, the letters on the electric, electricity company couldn't get through. They just put the bill up, council tax, uh, and all this stuff. You know. One thing after another after another, moaning about all these things. I'm like, you don't have to. I don't say this, but I think you don't have to live like that. Like we're, we're you look out the window and there's all this land that you could go and buy and you could go and farm and you could grow and grow things and do things and live there at the same time because you're allowed to live on your land if you're running an agricultural business because you're a farm worker. So you know, I I grow hay. So technically, I'm a farm worker. I can live here. That's within the rules to do that. So, you, but you know, it's whether they, you have to make a calculation. I think my advice to new people doing it, make a calculation is, do you think the council are going to come after you or not? Are they going to come after you maliciously? Can you cope with that? Can you cope with the stress of them sending you letters, turning up and knocking on your door, you know, giving, get, sending you court summons and threats of arrest and all this sort of thing? Can you cope with that? You know, I just brush it off. I'm like, well, come and get, come and arrest me then. If you if you really think I'm doing something that really warrants me arresting me, come and arrest me. But ultimately, have they got the resources to do that and stuff? I don't know. We'll find out, I guess. It, it would sound. It would well, it sounds like it'd be pretty extreme. I mean, do your your three kids, uh, well, your daughter's at university, do two two boys live with you as well? Uh, no, no, not at the moment. My my son's uh, working and living in another part of the county because he's working on the boats in St. Ives. And my other son goes to school in, in Truro, so he just lives up the road from the school, so he lives there with his mum. Okay. But they come over here and stay and stuff like that. And, you know, they run around on the motorbike and drive around in the chimney and, you know, do whatever they want here. So it's great for them. They can come and do whatever they want. You know, we've got a boat stored here so we can go out on the boat and all that sort of stuff. So it's good. Yeah. So, it, was it expensive as well? I mean, don't, we don't want like, figures. You don't want any facts of figures. But was it expensive to set up? 
Yeah, because we bought a lot of land. So we bought 12 acres. So it's, it's quite a lot. The land's gone up in value over the last since we bought it. But yeah, I mean, because I set up the glamping site, it was expensive. So it was a big investment. The infrastructure was expensive to invest in. I think I think if you were going to budget, if I was going to do it on my own, yeah, and if I was a man, like say I was a man on my own and I was just going to go and buy a plot of land and go and live on it, I could do it for 30 grand, 40 grand. You could buy a cheap, like it depends where you are in the country, but you could probably buy an acre of land and get some sort of setup that would get you going off grid that would be reasonable. If you were handy, you'd have to be, a, you know, you'd have to be handy. I'm a carpenter by trade, so like... I, I could build things and plumbing and all that stuff. It's no problem. So if you're, if you're handy, it's all good. But I think as a couple, maybe 70, 80 grand, I think you could get a plot of land and put something up. Handy enough, Adam, for that? Dave, I think you know me well enough to the answer to that question. And it is a, a resounding no. I am anything but handy, and my wife will gladly tell you that. And that I wonder, I wonder if that is a factor in it all, I mean, these, like say you're a carpenter. Now, I know in the past when I've had to try and get some a tradesman to work on my house, I don't know what it's like down there, but we live up here in Cheshire and they are few and far between to try and get hold of. So the people with the skills, probably fewer and further between. I wonder if that's part of the challenge. What, part of the challenge for living off grid? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do. We, we had the, a guy called Randy on, and one of the things that he was telling us is that he. He does a lot of trading in terms of he'll go and work for people to you know to to earn some stuff for himself. Mm. I guess I guess that must go on a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I'm I'm not working as carpenter anymore because I I stopped when I set up the glamping site. But the so I'm just working locally at the moment, actually designing and building tiny homes for other people. So the first one comes out of production this, this uh, next week. So that's all good, but there's so there's there's loads. Of, there's quite a few tradesmen down here. I think there's quite a few tradesmen that live off grid. I think a lot of people are forced into it, you know, through circumstances and things like that. I know the people that are buying the plots from me have been forced into that situation, and it's not something they've chosen to do. But you know, they're trying to make the best for their family, and so you know, I think there's so many people. If you could just have to go again on Facebook and see how many people searching for accommodation right, left, and centre, crazy. See, it's it's funny, you know. Like Dave said, when 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 I first spoke to these guys about the idea of doing an episode of Off Grid, we all have an idea about it. And for me, the idea would be that it it would always be somebody's choice, not that the you know maybe it's a little bit naive. I don't mm. know. What about yourself, Gazza? What are your thoughts on it? I, I just I, I would struggle, obviously. I I, I suppose I like my mod cons a bit, little bit too much, maybe. I don't think I would have maybe the patience. I certainly haven't got the technical ability or the skills or the, the trade behind me to be able to be sort of relatively self-sustainable. I ha, you know, I, I, I'm not a carpenter, I'm not a sparky, I'm not a plumber, you know, so I, I would struggle for that. So I would end up having to sort of get, get people in to do that for me. Now, whether or not that would be, you know, if there were people within the community that we were to live in and they would be able to do that, then fair enough. But no, I, 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 I'm not, not so sure. I, I agree with to a certain extent a lot of the sentiment in terms of you know why should we paying people to do things that actually you disagree with and this that and this so i sort of get maybe the sentiment of a lot of people who do want to live off grid i'm just not so sure that it could be for me if i'm honest no no I, I, he's I, institutionalized yeah well <laughs> yeah probably right, that's yeah. the problem i do think that's the problem for for, for gaz and myself and and dave i'm not, I'm not going to speak for you on that one i don't know is it something you could do but well, i know i'm a bit too institutionalized 
we can't we kind of got a hybrid at the moment because we live in a house that's connected to all the mains but there's a big field out the back <laughs> but we do we do you know that you were talking earlier about you know kids growing up and learning about nature and, and stuff like that i mean we do that with our kids you grow the fruit and veg we've had the chickens we've done all of that sort of stuff but it's still within a house on a street that's plugged in to the mains could i could i do it i probably could you know, I'm reasonably handy. I, I can do a bit of plumbing. I can do a bit of a carpentry. I can do a bit of, you know, building and a bit bits and pieces. So I could probably survive. I'd probably need Google to help me. Whether it's a decision that me, the wife and the two kids would actually go and do, I, I doubt that. But when the kids have left home, I think it's it's definitely not a, a no chance. That's not going to happen. We could, it could, but it's, um, don't know. So it's a big move, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it was a big move. It was. It is a big move. It's a big thing to. I think it's a big thing. It depends what creature comforts you're into as well. So, like, it, you know, I don't think I've got anything that I haven't got that I, that I would want in a house. And I think for kids, yeah, you're right. It's true. It is. It is good for kids to have that space and to be able to do it. The other thing is, it's an investment for the future as well because now I know that when the kids get older and they want to put a house, then they're never going to have to pay any rent. Mm. Yeah, do you know what I mean? That, that's the biggest gift that I could give my kids is somewhere to live. They're never going to have a, some. A, they're never going to have. I can build them somewhere as well, and they've got somewhere to live, and they'll have no bills and no rent. So they've got a head start that they're not going to have to do those things and struggle and you know in that way. So what about the, the practicalities? I mean, you just said there's nothing that you, know, you look around. There's nothing you know. You, you've said you've got you've got the TV. You've obviously got the internet. You've got the water. You've got the heating. So you've got solar panels, that's your electricity, then you've got battery storage. So what's the kind of capacity and life of those? Well, I've got, I've got 28 solar panels and four big batteries. Um, it was enough where we're at the height, let's say at the height when we had six domes here and two people. So at any one time we would have 12 people, 14 people staying here using power overnight. Mm. And that was no problem we, we ran out of electricity maybe two or three times but i have a backup generator anyway so it's not a problem but it's, it's mainly in, in on the really sort of misty days a bit like today actually when you know the sun doesn't cut through and people are still using loads of power that it, it doesn't work but it's very rare but you get used to it anyway like it, the few times that it's gone off i just like I, what do i need electricity for really go for a walk have a yeah. lie down yeah <laughs> But there's so yeah. much other stuff to do. Like, what? Well, my phone's got battery if something happens. Like, I've, I've got a battery power pack anyway, so that's always charged up emergency that lasts 24 hours to run the whole cabin here for 24 hours if the batteries up there didn't work anyway. So, so I've got you. Yeah. Ha- you end up having backups, you know. And what's the the, the borehole? Is that is that got is that using electricity to pump the water? Or is that a hand pump or what? Yeah, so the, so the borehole was really cool. Uh, when we when the bore, I'll tell you the story about the borehole. The guy, I phoned around a few companies. One guy came out. This guy, chap Ross, big up Ross. He was so good, and he turned up in his truck and he and he came out. He got his dowsing rods out, going like this. And I, I thought that was a joke. I thought that that can't be real. Like, and he went, yeah, yeah. So he got his dowsing rods out. They where they crossed, he put a notch in the grass. And the next day they came and started drilling. Now here under the ground is granite, it's solid granite under here. And if you, if you dig down more than a meter here, it's solid granite, so bedrock. So as soon as you drill down, they hit one of the hardest stones in the world. So it took them three days to drill 40 meters. I think that's probably one of the reasons why the neighbors weren't too happy. 
yeah, we, maybe. We, we'd arrived. We only had to land about two weeks, and this massive drill rig turned up and filled the hole. And eight, it was an eight-inch diamond bit on the end of it. That's how big it was. Eight inches. Imagine you're drilling a hole in the wall. It's eight mil, eight millimeters. It's eight inches. So they they drilled all the way down forty meters, and they passed like a perforated tube that goes down into the borehole. And that perforated tube allows water in, but doesn't allow any of the debris. So, and then you you put down a, a very thin cylindrical pump that goes down into through into that hole. It's six inches in diameter, and the water floods in from the surrounding bedrock into the borehole, which is eight inches wide and forty meters deep, and it sucks out the water from that borehole. And as it sucks it out, it just replenishes. So I can take out. 10,000 liters a day without a license here. So, and the, and the water is exceptional quality here. I had it, I've had it tested, you know, get tested every six months. So it's, the water is crystal clear and perfectly acidic, just right for brewing gin apparently, or distilling gin. Is that something you uh, do? No, it's not, I don't drink, so no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure what if you waste. started distilling gin, you'd have somebody trying to, trying to shut you down anyway. Yeah, exactly. They would. That's exactly. Oh, we've I've had I've had them call for all sorts of things. But this is a good story. When 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 the day that we got the land, when me and my girlfriend were still together, she she was really lovely. She was she would watch. She she really thought would like make an impression with these people and try and you know make friends and like she was one of those sort of people. And she made up all these. It was around Easter time. She made up all these little Easter baskets and she dropped them round to the neighbours. Yeah, the ones that across the road, that, the ones that complain. And within an hour, they dropped them back at the front gate, unopened. Oh, God. They hadn't even met us. They hadn't, like, nothing. They didn't, there's just the fact that we were new. And, and bear in mind, I've lived in this area for 20-something years, yeah? <laughs> Literally in this area. So it, they, they must have thought that we were, like, from up country or whatever. Because, <laughs> I think, mind you, none of them are Cornish. That's the other ironic thing. Is none of them are actually Cornish. They've all moved here from years and years ago, but they think they're, they've got the right to like pass judgment on us. And they dropped them all round, unopened. All the note was unopened and everything. Like, wow. That's disgraceful, isn't it? I know. It's that's enough. What so we could have a problem here. <laughs> yeah. Do you think? Bring yeah. the drill. Bring the drill. <laughs> yeah, we might yeah, have a problem. Not fuck them anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, up no, until that I happened. Hate, I would hate to think that I would get to that age where I'm in my 70s, you know, and I'm going to look at people trying to start a business and trying their hardest with young, like family and stuff like that and going out of their way, putting all their money and effort and time and effort into doing something, even if I didn't really like what they were doing or I didn't approve of it or whatever. The fact that people are putting in a load of effort and trying their best to make something great, but what they think is great, I would encourage them to do it because I wouldn't be here that lot much longer. I'm going to be dead. 10 years, I'll be dead. So why do I care? And I just think, why would you spend the last years of your life trying to, you know, inflict your will on people yeah. that are just trying to make the best for them and their families? And that attitude is what I hate. And that's what makes me recoil from the society around me, because you see that everywhere you go. People want to mm. stop you from doing things and stop you from being free because they want to make up some stupid rule because someone got hurt one day. Like, it's nonsense. Yeah, and they could, they could you know, they could have been like nice neighbours. They could have been friends, you know, when the the summer's kicking off and there's barbecues. They could be coming down, joining in, meeting new people all the time, enriching their lives. Yeah. Instead of sitting up there, curtain twitching and moaning and chuntering to themselves. It's not just that, though. They've flown drones over. So when we had guests in here and there were women getting changed in the domes and things like that, there was a guy across the road who's flying a drone over. Right? Oh, no. And then taking the pictures and sending them into the council. 
and all sorts of things. Like years, <laughs> I've had like three years of this now. Three, it's gone quiet recently. It's gone quiet. Anyway, we left this because we didn't want you to get wound up, so we left that and just moved. <laughs> Let's not go back there. Let's stay away. We were getting onto all the positives about yeah. boreholes and, and solar panels. Okay, yeah. the, the third one then. You got you've done your solar panels, done your boreholes, bush sewage system. How does that work? Oh yeah, that was another one they went mad about putting in the sewage system. So so <laughs> it was funny. It was funny. I also I, I found up this. I was like, what should we do about sewage? Some people do what they call compost toilets and stuff like that. It's gross. So I wouldn't do that. So they stink. No matter what anyone says, they stink. You don't do compost toilets. Anyone that says, oh, come to my house, I've got a compost toilet. Uh -uh. No, don't do it. <laughs> so so <laughs> not unless you go to the toilet first. So I looked into it and I did loads of research and looked at every option and all the rest of it. And basically, there's a system, there's a company that make these, uh, it's just a big tank, really, with different sections. So everything goes in one end. And as the more water and everything comes in, it pushes everything down the line into the section, separate sections and the bacteria break it down. And as it comes out the other end into the ground, it's 97% pure water. Mm. So the bacteria break it all down. It's aerated. So I've got like a aerator that goes on 24 hours a day to keep it all good. And that's all buried in the ground, like way down the hill. And then I just um, dug a little trench and run the soil pipe and then connected it up. Simple. It does sound very simple, doesn't it? And again, yeah. very, very environmentally friendly. Yeah, yeah well, we do. We do I, I, when I, <laughs> I ordered this thing, and then in the melee of ordering everything, because we tried, had to manage to build everything in 12 weeks, yeah, because we were running against the clock to get to it done by the summer, to open in time for the summer. So it was all good fun. It was like changing rooms, but over a 12-week period, you know, it was like exhausting. But uh, we got everything done. But the, in the melee of, of like ordering everything, I didn't check all the sizes of everything. So the chap came with a massive 10-ton digger and he was doing some digging work and stuff like that here on the land and getting everything ready. And then, uh, so he said, all right, what size hole do you want to dig then? And I, was, I looked on the measurements and it's seven metres by three metres by two and a half metres deep, something like that. It's a massive hole. And bear in mind, there's granite in the ground. And I was like, oh no, this thing's arriving tomorrow. So we've got to dig the ground. So he starts digging this massive hole in this pile of earth and stones. He's getting bigger and bigger and bigger as he digs this thing. And I'm thinking, oh, shit, neighbor's going to go mad. And then the, the thing comes on the tr on a lorry and this this massive tank is absolutely huge. And then and we managed to lift it off the tank and put it into the hole, filled it all in within, within a day. He dug the hole, put the tank in, filled it back in, and it was done. So I was this massive panic about this massive thing coming. And it was a huge panic. And it literally just came on the lorry, lifted it off, dropped it in the hole, filled it in, done. <laughs> great so i recommend anyone if, you, if you're going to get any sort of off-grid sewage system get a biodigesting sewage system it's really efficient and cheap and good value i think so where did you learn about all of this kind of stuff it seems to me you must have done a fair bit of research before and this isn't just something that's been done on a whim it was definitely learn as you go i am one of those people that will just research things to the end you know to figure out what the what is the best thing i'll look watch every youtube video and all that. i'm sure lots of people do so yeah there was a lot of it but I mean, we well, the timeline was 2020, 2021. We came and looked at the land in January, we completed on the land in 2021, March, and opened in June. That's pretty quick. That's a pretty quick turnaround, isn't it? Yeah, wow. that's, that's concept and everything and getting the domes made and designed, like CAD designed and printed off locally and then putting them all together and building all the deckings and putting in the sewerage system and running 200 metres of soil pipe and... 
building a barn and building uh, putting all the service service system and the battery system onto the barn borehole water everything and these tiny homes then that you're designing now is yeah. there any is there any deal where you can get them on your land as well will, will is that is that part of the goal when you're selling them on or yeah, well, I'm working with a company locally that have been working here just up the road for 45 years, actually, and then making timber buildings um, locally for, for, for that long. So they're moving into tiny homes and garden offices and things like that. Um, and there's a big call for it down here because so many people have been sort of forced to live off grid or to, you know, to have their kids live in the garden and this and that. So um, they asked me to design like off the basis of what I've done and how I, you know, built what I've built to design something that's quite a bit more contemporary than what they normally do and that people would maybe want to live in. So thinking about it from how much space do you actually need to live in comfortably? Um, like my cabin's only seven meters by seven meters with three meter high ceilings, but it feels spacious because I've put big, you know, an extra sort of half a meter on the ceiling. So there's little things like that that you can do to make the space feel bigger and feel better. So I think it's quite nice. I like it. What, what is the lay? What is the layout of of that seven by seven? Is it bedroom, bathroom, yeah. living space? Yeah, I've got. Well, it's seven by seven, but then there's a two point four. Uh, it's a two point four meter by two point four meter bathroom as well on top. So that's a little shower uh, shower room with a big double shower, flushing toilet and sink and all the rest of it. And I've got like a perspex roof on that, so it's always nice and bright. And then on the front of my cabin, I've got a dome. I've got half, one of the domes that was left over. I've got half of that on the front, so you can go sit in my hammock on the on the uh, and chill in the dome in the sunshine, which is quite nice. And then in the middle of the cabin, I've got my um, wood burner uh, with a with, with a uh, you know chrome pipe that goes up through the middle and out the top of the flat roof, and that does all my heating and cooking. And I've got, of course, got an air fryer, and quite, as, as everyone, and a washing machine and tumble dryer, and you know fridge freezer and all that stuff as well so yeah it's all right it's, it's, i've got my, I've got my uh, like this area here is uh, i've got a big double sofa you can sit like six or seven people here and uh and watch films and stuff like that and yeah it's cool wow i think it's it's I, it's quite surprising again it's my own naivety that you know it's just it's just a normal house like hmm. this this from the inside or even from the outside it's just a normal house and you just said you got the tumble dryer washing machine fridge freezer but it's all just driven by solar panels and batteries. it's all free so, yeah, <laughs> it's I was about to say, apart from your now. capital yeah apart from yeah. your upfront cost it's all free yeah and when you factor into that you're not paying i presume any form of council tax or or rates or anything like that, I then, um, that. <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure you're paying everything you legally should pay but Absolutely. um but you know, when you factor all of that, it pays the whole thing pay, must pay for itself. I don't agree. I mean, I don't agree that anyone should pay their council tax. Everyone should just turn to do one. What do they actually? If you actually look into what they spend it on, it's a massive wind up. That uh, council, like, <laughs> don't get me started on council tax. It's ridiculous. But no, we're not going to get if started. If they spend yet. it properly, no problem. Everyone should pay it. If they spend it properly on the things that people need and want and all that, and then fine. But they just want to take more and more money off you and spend it on nonsense. So. Quick, somebody think about something about sustainable living. Quick, <laughs> <laughs> animals. Well, do you have do you have any livestock? Have you got any like yeah, chickens uh, or anything like that? Well, there's guinea fowl. Uh, there's loads. There's loads of guinea fowl that come through the meadow, and they they shout and scream. Um, there's horses and ponies and 
pigs and goats and stuff like that all next door. But I, I, to be honest, I'm working at the moment quite a lot, so I haven't got time to have any animals. But I do have a cat. <laughs> but you have to have a cat. You have to have a cat. That is the point. Because most people will have a dog, yeah? But I would get a cat because you need a cat for the rats. Because you're definitely mm-hmm. going to, if you live off grid, you're going to get rats. But I do not get rats because I've got the best cat. She catches everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of cats. But I prefer them to rats, that has to be said. So my, yeah. my question is then, I will I will distract you then from the politics because the danger is if I get embroiled in this one as well, Dave knows Dave knows I can go off on one as well. So in, in terms of, you know, when, when we think about off-grid living, there's almost a little bit of, it sounds like, on the face of it, harking back to the past. But it seems to me that you believe that this could indeed be a big part of our future. Oh, of course, yeah. Absolutely. It has to be. It's not a case of, I mean, it, people are being forced into that position where there is, there isn't enough housing in this country. We have many, two million houses short or something of what we should be. If you continue to grow, to grow at the rate that we should have grown along with the population, we're about two million houses short in this country. So people are being forced to do things that they wouldn't otherwise do. They wouldn't otherwise consider. Yeah. So the, the, what the government should do is, be able to make make that into a position so that it's a lifestyle choice that people are able to do that it is facilitated for people to do that because it would be beneficial think of all the extra council tax that they would get you know think of all the extra money that would be generated in the in the in the in the economy and um, just by by making that small change and allowing people to live off grid interesting interesting we have another question from our friend cyril as well and he says would you say the resistance from neighbors and the council is due to a lack of understanding and would an education event help win some hearts and minds i would like to be optimistic and say yes i'm sure there are some people that would you know i I don't know if any of you guys have seen the clarkson farm thing clarkson's farm thing it's that it is that it's like the, the 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 bit where he goes in and he goes and talks to all the all the locals about what he's planning on doing and stuff like that. He was as nice as he could possibly be. You know, he went bent over backwards to do everything he was supposed to do. But there's always going to be a hardcore group of people that are going to, you know, try and cause cause you a massive problem. So you can be as nice as you, as you like to these people, but they, they will always come back and get you. So you have to decide whether you're going to engage with them or not, I suppose. Mm. Do you think, though, in Clarkson's case, and he, like I say, he can be as nice as he possibly was, mm. but there is this preconception of him that he is a bit of an arse at times. Do you think yeah, that absolutely. would have perhaps <laughs> that could have not worked in his favour so much? Totally, but that's that's not that's the point, isn't it? It's, it's, it's about like he can be an arse, yeah, but he's bought some land and he's entitled to do whatever he wants on it, yeah, within reason, yeah. If he's if he's working within the rules, which he was. They can't. They shouldn't go on a witch hunt to try and stop him doing it just because they don't like him. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He's. You can't. You can't make up the rules based on whether we like people or not. It's based on what is the law. You know what is the law? Is that person allowed to do that or not? Irrespective of who they are or what they think or whatever. Indeed, I re- indeed. I was. Re- I was just re- reading Clarkson's. It's. It's a book, but I think it's. It's a publication of all these Guardian things, and one of them was about one of his fields where he wanted to put cows. And uh, apparently, it wasn't it wasn't NIMBYs. It was the Environment Agency or somebody said, "Oh no, there's lots of different species of flowers or something, and then the, the slugs mm. like it or something." And I don't know how much is, is fact and how much is him just making a story out of it. He says basically he couldn't put cows or no, sorry, 
he wanted to grow um, rapeseed oil mm. for, for oil. They wouldn't let him because this field had other stuff in. So he says, basically, I can't, I can't grow 10 acres of that, 100,000 litres of that, which means that someone's going to buy palm oil instead. So to protect mm. these slugs and butterflies, they're going to cut down some forest in the Amazon. And yeah. that's going to endanger orangutans or something like that. And it was... You know, you're doing one thing here, but there's bigger impacts, and that's yeah, I think we, that's the we, same sort of thing, isn't it? Totally, and we do it on we do it on a um, individual scale, we do it on a community scale, we do it on a countrywide scale. You know, we outsource these things that we don't want to look at, heavy industry and things like that. We outsource it to other countries so that we can look at our nice green fields that aren't doing anything because it's being done and ruined somewhere else in the world. Yeah, so mm. the the NIMBY idea is don't you know. It pervades all everywhere. It pervades your street where people will, you know, you put up a shed and one of the neighbours will complain that the shed's a little bit too high. And you think, oh, my God, you know. So so that pervades all everywhere and even into the countrywide thing where we don't want anything. We don't want anybody coming to this country, but we can let everybody go somewhere else. You know, it's that, it's that, that whole kind of attitude is if we don't see it, we don't have to think about it. Yeah, interesting. Absolutely. There's, there's, too, there's too much of that that goes on. Yeah, there definitely. is. There is indeed. And... We normally keep these episodes to round about an hour. So, Gaz, Dave, you got any final questions for our guest before we let him go? No, it's been fascinating listening. It's probably one of the episodes I've spoken the least on, actually, which is sort of a, a bit of a shock for me. I'm I won't take it personally. No, 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 no. It's because it, because it's so interesting just listening to you talk and listening to 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 you just sort of go, go through your journey and how you come to be where you are and, and your philosophy on the things that you're doing. I found it absolutely fascinating and you know incredibly insightful and we have had sort of an off-gridder on sort of previously and and i think we both sort of well all three of us really said you know we'd, we'd love to sort of spend an evening with, with them just talking to them about their philosophy on on various things and, and and it's been been really really insightful so i haven't said much but absolutely thoroughly enjoyed the episode so thanks very much for for, for, for joining us and and, and um, it's been an absolute pleasure no you're very welcome thanks for having me and, and let me tell you, it takes something very special to keep gas quiet. I can promise you that. <laughs> Dave? Uh, I've got a question. It's one of the very first things you said. When when you were making initial inquiries about whether to get electricity put into the site, mm. and they said it would cost £58,000. Why? Did you ever find out why it cost £58,000? Yeah. yeah, because the it's a, it's a tiny little lane here. And where I needed the power to go was right on the other side of where the power is. But the but aside from that, the 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 power that comes in along the land next to me comes in at eleven thousand volts. So they would have to put it down to for a transformer. So they would have to site a transformer, put in a concrete grid, you know, one of those big metal boxes, and then downsize it from that down to two forty, and then put in a new connection and blah 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 blah. So there was loads of extra costs involved. It was still outrageously expensive. But especially when I thought, why would I pay £58,000 and then start paying them for the cost of electricity? To use it. And as soon as I yeah. decided to get the solar, the, all the cost of all the power started to shoot through the roof. And I was like, oh, my God, thank God for that. So, <laughs> And the, obviously the cost of solar panels that went up and everything as well. Because And I just bought them just in time. I was like, thank God. And I just got in there and bought more than I needed as well. That's oh, well, as, as I said, pleasure, pleasure speaking to you. It's fascinating. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah, thanks, guys. Indeed. Indeed, indeed. I have one final question for you, then. Just a quick one. Just a quick mm -hmm. one that I'll throw out there. What's the biggest misconception, then, about off-grid living? 
that you have to be like you know it's all really muddy and dirty and filthy and you know like that people imagine that you're living in a tent in the rain do you know what i mean it's like it's like it's it's i suppose some people are living like that in yurts and things like that and it, you know some people just don't uh, i guess have the money or anything to put into the, into the infrastructure and stuff so the infra but you can still live comfortably in uh, off grid for a, for a reasonable amount of money i think and ultimately, the money that you put into it, you're going to save on the other end anyway. So, so long as you've got a job or whatever, it's, it's a really good way of making yourself uh, twice as rich as you otherwise would be because you stop having to pay out for the things that you normally would pay out. So rather than earning more money and working harder, you just get rid of the things that you're paying for. Makes sense. Interesting. Interesting. I, I must admit, you've made it sound incredibly, incredibly simple. And maybe it is. And maybe... Maybe I'm too institutional. Well, it's financial freedom, isn't it? It's financial freedom. If you yeah. it gives yourself financial freedom, if you can achieve that, but you have to be. Well, there's nothing. You don't get anything for free, do you? So the no. the, free, the thing that I've lost is that the, the people coming at me and you know court cases and the council and the planning and the you know all that stress. So if you can deal with that and let that just run off you, then mm. you're in, you're quids in. Well, you strike me as a man who can. You seem incredibly laid back and relaxed. And we've really, really enjoyed this conversation with you tonight. So if you'd like to say your goodbyes to our listeners. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. I appreciate you listening. No, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I will just say as well, a quick thank you to Cyril, Matt, Mike, and Paul for commenting on as well tonight. Really, really appreciate your comments. We've shared them all on screen. So, Gaz, Dave, did you want to say goodbye? Yeah, appreciate it. Um, thank you very much. Look forward to the next time. Love to have you on at some point in the future just to talk about, you know, wh whether you're still off grid. I hope you are in a way. Has it? Have you found it uh, increasingly more easy or have there been more challenges down the line? You know, so yeah, love to have you back on and, and just to continue listening to the journey that, you, that you're on. It's been fascinating. I might be in the jungle by then. That's was that Cambodia, you said? Uh, Guyana. My dad was from Guyana Guyana's. in South America. Yeah, okay. Right, okay, yeah. That's uh, is that is that off grid as what well? I thought it was off grid at the start of this episode. Or yeah, is that like a house with everything? There's only eight hundred thousand people in Guyana and they've just found more oil under Guyana than in Venezuela. So it's about to become one of the richest countries in the world. Wow. Oh, Hence go. why you're you're trying to go. Hence why he's moving over there quick, yeah. <laughs> really? I'm gonna go and buy some jungle. Buy some land. <laughs> well, if you if you do, drop Adam a message. We want to hear all about it. I am. I'm going in November. See you later. <laughs> well, one hundred percent. Well, I'll be in touch. Don't don't worry. If it's something you could do, if it's something you could share from there, we'll we'll make the time zone work. Don't worry about that. We'd love we'd love to hear from that. But for now, well, I will bid you a fond farewell. Yeah, thanks, and I will guys. Say th no, I'll say thank you to all our listeners as well. So thank you and good night.